Hello and welcome back to another episode of Advocata's Reset Now podcast. I'm Anuka Ratnayake, your host for the day, and with me I have our guest speaker, Dr. Sujata Gamage. Dr. Gamage is an advisor to the Advocata Institute and also a, a senior research fellow at LearnAsia, a regional think tank based in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Dr. Gamage specializes in planning, evaluation and capacity building in education. Her research interests includes evaluation in ICT, use of in, in schools in Sri Lanka, ICT for development and education in universities in Asia and the Pacific region. Welcome on board doctor, it is a pleasure to have you here. Sure. Discussing about the about reforms, we know that Sri Lanka is in the track of reforms and also is planning on a reform agenda. So uh, at the Adv- Advocata Institute, we thought it would be interesting to discuss about the education sector reforms. So also, doctor, uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen a lot of discussion around education sector reforms and also a lot of shifts within the education system. We saw from the traditional education system, we moved to, a, we moved to an online-based education system and also distance learning became the new normal. And we've also discussed the challenges and the new trends that Sri Lanka will have to face and was facing during the pandemic. And at that time, we were able to discuss about the reforms that needs to be implemented within our education system. So if I would like to bring up the question of how would you evaluate the progress that we've made with those reforms, how would you approach to this question? Yes, um, you know, co- schools were closed for COVID, uh, I think, March 2020. And, um, and it was only in November 2020-21 that our Minister of Education put out uh, abbreviated lesson plans for students, you know, because when COVID happened, we, our, our curriculum is really extensive. There's really too much content. And if you take Bhutan, by June, they had announced and published, shared with the teachers, an abbreviated curriculum, curriculum for emergencies. You know, we did never got around it. Our teachers just scrambled and did what they can. The ministry can take no credit for any other distant learning that happened during COVID. That is a fact. One thing that happened was the National Education, National Institute of Education. Uh, there was a very active director general at that time. He got some videos going on. And then so there were these, um, I think they were broadcast uh, from, I think by about end of March, they had them on. But you know, videos don't make education. It has to be linked to a, a teacher. You know, unless the teacher tells you there's a test at the end of it, or I'm questioning you, kids are not going to watch that. So everything that our response to COVID during during the epidemic was really totally ad hoc, all done by teachers. And it really showed that our education system is really decentralized when in its really implementation. The center did nothing. So... Uh, and to date, we don't know how many children uh, left school because of that. What is the learning loss? We don't know. 
Even now, today, we don't have a school census. It's not there. How many children are, have lost school, uh, have dropped out due to the now pandemic is gone, now due to the economic crisis, we don't know. So I think we really have not talked. Just before we talk about reforms, we need to know where we are. We don't even know that. So I don't think we cannot be at all happy about you know, what the, our center is doing for education. Yeah, okay. I uh, Yeah, I do agree with you, doctor, because uh, even during the economic crisis, we discuss about the education reforms when because we did not step up our game even after the pandemic, even after understanding there are so many loopholes within the system. Also, with the pandemic, there was a, a discussion around digitalization of education and also improving the education infrastructure. How do you visualize this? How do you see this as a part of education sector reforms? You mean the ICT infrastructure? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's a you know it's a favorite subject. Everybody loves to say donate computers to school, and they're they're great photo opportunities. But I think we need to we put too much emphasis on the infrastructure. I think we need to uh, talk about the outcomes we expect. Then you can work backwards. I would say if I were to, you know, say what we need to do about ICT in education is to def say, define some standard. Every child should have, had a should have a chance to use ICT in education at least four hours a month, one hour a week, two hours a week. Then you let the schools decide what do they need for that. Some schools have good ICT labs. So I know every once a week the children get to go to the ICT lab and do their lesson there. So, you know, we because there's so many different types of schools, one, one solution does not fit everything. So we are always focusing on infrastructure because it's the easiest to do. Then you can say, you know, we did see many, so many computer schools, so many computer labs, but they don't work. Most of the time you add to e-waste, you know. it's. So I think the best is to focus on outcomes and get the provinces. There are nine provinces. Tell you this is what we want you to do. You give us a budget on each school has to decide. Some schools you don't need to have a, your own lab. Maybe once a week you bus the children to a nearby school. But you know, just get the output outcome you want and then let the schools decide how they do that. Otherwise, if we talk about infrastructure, we are never going to get you know, our schools fully equipped. Right. Uh, so, which also means that the infrastructure is already there, but also we are, our school system is not getting the maximum use of the in available infrastructure. Yes. Absolutely. I think if you look at count the number of computers that have been distributed, you know, maybe three times over for each student. Yes. So, but the thing is, you know, we can't, some of them have trouble because of, you know, repairs and everything, but forget about those. Give the basic minimum uh, targets for schools, and then they will, you know, rise up to the occasion. Yes, yes, that is a very important uh, point that you brought up. And also, while we were talking about ICT education and also what we need to do with the available infrastructure, uh, I would like to direct a question on you about uh, the curriculum, the school curriculum, how it needs to be improved. And what are the loopholes? And when we're talking about education sector reforms in 2023, what are the areas that we need to look into in terms of educational, education curriculum? 
You know, this education reform package, it's you know, been birthed. It's a long labor process. Um, I don't think they're looking at huge, big changes. We just can't do that, and particularly after this, you know, last 12 months or last nine months. Because our education budget is, you know, it's, um, I think, total comes to about, I think I have the 2021, only 2020, uh, 250, uh, 250 billion. I think I, I did not count the 2023, but because the education budget is very difficult to uh, evaluate because part of the education budget is sent through the uh, provincial ministry, Ministry of Provinces. So, but anyway, whatever the budget we have, it's, it's about 50% of what we should have because of inflation. Yeah. Okay. So if, I've just seen the National Education Commission's uh, uh, national policy document, not a word about the economic crisis, right? So we really need to, we can't do huge reforms, but actually if you take the existing curriculum, it was, um, I think we have, it was done only about, updated about three years ago. I think that curriculum is fine, just take things out. Yes. Just taking things out because we, there are you can have minimum. You have learning outcomes. There are about hundreds and hundreds of learning outcomes. You can identify essential learning outcomes. Yes. This is we. Really, if we did not do it for COVID, we need to do it for the economic crisis. People just have not take get it into their heads that there is a crisis. Mm -hmm. You look at the documents, National Education Commission reports, uh, the ministry talking about introducing artificial AI. I mean. Not a word about, you know, how do we do the regular programming for students under the economic crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think we can work with the existing curriculum and just by reducing and identify what you call essential learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need a, actually that will cut down. There are no exercise books. Actually, we are, what children are doing is really copying what's in the textbooks into the exercise books. Mm -hmm. So we can reduce the need for exercise books by half by changing the way we teach. So um, I think reforms, big talks, have. I don't think this reform package is never going to come up, come out because it's just too much of a big change, too many changes. We can work with the existing curriculum. Okay, yes. Uh, as you said, there are very important issues like not having enough paper and the shortage of uh, stationery. We've been talking about it and it is being discussed at the parliament as well. And uh, with that, uh, we also see it is a threat to the, the students. They, they'll not have enough supplies. And like that, what are the other, other issues you see coming up with the economic crisis and will affect the education sector? Um, nutrition, of course, school lunches. Uh, they used to give only ru 30 rupees per student, and the schools stopped doing that. Usually it's sent to the schools, and the school development society gets the things, and the parents contribute, and they give the lunches. Um, I think it's been topped up, but still it's not enough. I think we need a massive uh, effort to pull together charity for this work. Uh, there's already, actually, my, my colleague Tara is uh, really spearheading um, uh, experiment in getting um, support uh, contributions, but I think they are also developing a website now with each school listed there, but under the each school will be under the zonal director's supervision. So you can find your school. I mean, if, you, if your hometown, original hometown is somewhere else, you can decide to you know support that school. You can go and pick that school, but we need, um, so I mean, 
so many children are falling through the cracks. There's a lot of donations, a lot of charitable work. Uh, I think FAO is giving some money, some supplies, but uh, not, not a single child should fall through the cracks. So we need a good online portal to capture all the schools and know who, where, where the support is going and where it's not. So um, the government, I don't think they can, they can't, they they won't be able to get back together. I think that's a civil society effort, and I think by about next week we should have that uh, website up. I think. Right. That's uh, that's. We need a massive effort. Every child should be counted for. Okay, that's uh, that's great news, and also like you spoke about the nutritional aspect. When we talk about children and education, we cannot forget nutrition. And we know with the crisis, the impact of the crisis is being felt through the uh, the increase in food prices, and nutrition is an aspect that we all need to focus on. So um, with the with the allocations given on education and with whatever is being discussed uh, for children's uh, children's nutrition, do you think that uh, we've taken enough efforts in the past few years to improve uh, nutrition among the school students? Um, the school lunches actually nutrition should be it's part of the curriculum. You know how, how you should what they should eat. It's just it's it's just like you know you you learn that to uh, write exam papers, you know there is a beautiful curriculum. Actually, we have a really good curriculum when you look at it from primary to eight, nine, ten, eleven. You know all that is weaved into the curriculum. Unfortunately, children just learn them blindly to write exams. You know as they have lunch, school lunch, they can always look at their there's so much science, so much nutrition, they can you know, evaluate their, what they're eating, you know. So it's all should be weaved into their daily life, nutrition, nutrition education. But I think more than nutrition, what the allocation for schools, of course, there isn't enough. But I think we are not um, really distributing it in the right way. It should be a progressive distribution. You know, in taxation, we say progressive taxation is when you tax the low income in as less and you know, progressively you increase the tax on the higher income. Same way, we should um, do that for schools. Right now, schools are funded per student. Royal College, we are very equitable. In, we are not equitable, we equal, equal. We, we fund equally, but it's not equitable. Yeah. Um, so what you do is, you know, you fund um, eight per student. Royal College gets a certain amount, say for electricity, by that count, they get about 30,000 rupees. But the actual electricity bill is about 600,000. <laughs> so that's all met by the school development societies. But what we need is a progressive funding. That is, schools with the low-income areas, they should get more funding per student, and then progressively less for the other schools. So no funding is not distributed adequately, and uh, we need to really have affirmative funding for low-income schools. Yes, yeah, um, agree with that, Doctor. A very insightful discussion on nutrition and uh, allocation of the education budget there. And I would also like to uh, discuss with you about, uh, since we discussed on the education curriculum, there's a discussion about the importance of STEM education being uh, a part of our curriculum and uh, how importantly it can affect our economy and the economic growth per se. 
Uh, what is your opinion on this? STEM is, I, I, the latest buzzword is AI. You know, STEM is now we're all done. We've talked about it enough, that's done. <laughs> so the latest is AI. I think it's another buzzword, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math in education. There's a really big misunderstanding about STEM. STEM is not about having more STEM graduates, more STEM students, more STEM uh, children sitting for more STEM subjects. STEM is about STEM concepts in their overall education, you know. In, um, as I said, when they eat, you know, there's so much science to that. And if you take the grades eight to 11, eight to nine, no, six to nine curriculum, it's amazing that our geography, when you take geography, there's so much STEM there, you know. So it should be, actually, if you take the textbooks, STEM is weaved into those. You can see that. It's not a big new thing. It's just that students, the teachers are not doing those practicals as they should. So there's a lot of practicals where uh, it could be um, citizenship, it could be practical and technical skills, uh, it could be in the sports curriculum, the uh, health and physical education curriculum. There's so much science there. So it's about, you know, everywhere, you know, they are using, it's not only just STEM, it should be STEAM, you know, science, technology, arts, and engineering and math. Design should be, it's there, you know, they should, when you submit a paper, sometimes I find you submit a paper, first page is there, and the second page has only two lines. I mean, that's really, children should learn to pay attention to that, you know, how you lay out some and you some, do something. So it's, it, you don't have to have STEM is a buzzword. I think it's already there. What we need to do is to have the, what the education we have now to really make it activity-based, as it is intended, as it is intended. So that really requires us change the exams, and I think reforms, I don't think we need to do anything, we just need to change the exams, just take some of the exams out. Right. And uh, then, you know, without the pressure of exams, the teachers have time to do all the practicals, all the activities in the textbooks. The textbooks have all the activities. STEM is weaved into those. Yes. It's, it's just a, you know, big, just some people to talk about, just, you know, throw about words, big words. Right. Also, Doctor, uh, even uh, even though there it, it is, uh, it seems like a password, and like you said, there is a myth about it, uh, but also the problem of having too many arts graduates has been highlighted, and the job market cannot facilitate jobs for art, art graduates. Uh, what is your opinion on this? How do we rectify this mistake? And we are also looking to forward uh, for an export-oriented economy. So don't you think that technology is an important aspect that needs to be included in both secondary and tertiary education? But you know, political science and sociology, these are very important subjects, right? It's just our students are doing um, uh, Buddhist civilization and logic and some selected subjects. So I think the the fix is at the end. You end the fix the end. That is in the universities. The universities are right now, you know, they just sit there and the students are brought to them. So they set aside. Okay, we'll have this social department. We'll have political science. We'll have Buddhist civilization, and there's no. Uh, there's no market, there's, it doesn't match the market. So what we need is to get the universities to get students to, uh, you know, to um, compete for students. Right now, you know, they're saying, okay, so they get so many students. No, students have to apply. And 
it's, it should be each each university has to have compete for students. So we need to change the university admission system, and then some of these things where there's no demand will go down. And of course, some of the uh, even if there's a demand, the funding, the government funding should be for focused areas. And university, I think university admissions, we need to really limit it to more research-based admissions. The, right now, we are trying to increase the number of graduates, just paper qualifications. We need to increase the number of re graduates with you know, research quality graduates. So we need to reduce the uh, government openings. Because right now, the funding is we are spending too much on relatively too much on higher education compared to school education. School, I would double the school education budget, reduce the higher education budgets, reduce the, um, make it more demand driven. And then, you know, the students have no, they, they don't have places to apply for, they look for other options. So we need to fix the end. You know, then right now, as long as there are openings in the universities, you know, students will choose those tracks. Yes, as you so very correctly. Begin with the end. Yes. As you very correctly brought up, there is a problem of resource availability, and uh, with the economic crisis, uh, the resource scarcity will, will obviously be a problem. So how do you think that the government and the relevant authorities need to address the resource, the lack of resources, especially when it comes to allocations and money uh, into the education budget, both uh, secondary and tertiary, like you mentioned? Yeah, we really need to look at the budget. And there's a 2003 study by World Bank show that in the region, we actually owe our percentage we spend on school education is much less than what it should be when you take the overall education budget. You know, that's very interesting. This is a book by uh, Dr. N. M. Pera, The Case for Free Education, published in 1944. And he really said, when we said education shall be free from kindergarten to university, he said, have you budgeted that? Because they did not budget that, right? So we continue to do that, and what's been happening is, because there's a huge demand for the noise that comes from the higher education sector, and we've been increasing the, what we, you know, we're increasing the number of places in universities, there's a knock-on effect on school education, right? Relative percent we spend on school education has been decreasing, if you take the full education budget. So I think we need to re go back to the 1944, and what he says is, Start with education up to 14 and make sure that is quality for everybody. So our goal should be all children completing 16 years of education. Right now we have pass rate of 60%, but we should say everybody should have minimum standard. That should be our goal. The rest of it actually economic crisis, you know, maybe sometimes you, do, you can't get higher education at this time. But our priority, I think we need to go back to where we were. The first mistake we made you know, it's somebody, I think, um, economist Anne Robinson, Joan Robinson said, you know, in Sri Lanka, we are uh, picking the fruits before the fruit is mature. You know, that's what we did in 1944. We need to go back to that. We need to triple the education budget. And the rest, I don't know. We'll do what we can. But we need to increase the budget for school education. Understood. So as you very correctly brought up about uh, the free education system, isn't the free education system going to face a major challenge with the economic crisis? Absolutely. That's why we need to pick the most vulnerable and the most essential. Essential is we give every child, I think, 18 years of you know, education, but maybe right now we will say 16 years. But we need to make sure that all the children, not a single one, should be you know, left out. 
we should have minimum math, language, English. We need to give it to them. So that should be our focus. And you know, if some of the universities have to charge fees, it's difficult for everybody, but we need to prioritize it. And the priority should be school education. Because school education, if you look at economics, if you take the economics of it, the benefits, the public benefits are 100%. When you take higher education, there are more private benefits, right? So um, I think it should, it's, I don't think it's going to happen. It takes bold leadership. I don't see that coming here. But we'll just, you know, just try to write this. No, this is going to be for another 10 years, this crisis. So uh, we really need to prioritize. And the priority should be school education, school education, school education. And make sure every child, we don't let leave out any child. So, uh, as you mentioned, Doctor, it is very important that we understand uh, that we have to prioritize our school education given the economic crisis and the challenges that we are facing as a nation. It was a very fruitful discussion about you on uh, the education sector reforms that we need to look into with a reform agenda being discussed uh, throughout the country and among all the policymakers. Uh, and also it is important that we understand which track that our reforms and also our education sector needs to head towards in uh, the near future and also look beyond uh, the near future and look towards, uh, look towards uh, a future prosperity in the education sector. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Gamage. And that brings us to the end of the episode today. And thank you for joining us and hoping to see you all again on the Reset Now podcast. You can listen to this podcast on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And remember to follow us on all our social media platforms for more exciting content. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to like, comment and subscribe. See you in the next episode.